Hi everyone and welcome back to Her Every Day. My name is Allison Laser and I'm your host and I am so excited that you are tuning in to today's episode. Today's episode is part three of my series of my story with birth control, how the birth control pill caused my blood clots, my CTEF diagnosis, and ultimately led to an open heart surgery. If you have not caught up on part one and part two, you definitely, definitely want to before tuning into today's episode because that's going to provide a lot of background on what I'm going to be chatting about today. So in part one, I took a deep dive into how the pill caused my blood clots and also shared a little bit about my CTEF diagnosis. Then in part two, I shared more about my CTEF diagnosis and also um, the open heart surgery that I had called PTE surgery. And today I'm going to be chatting a little bit more about what exactly recovery from PTE surgery looks like. So let's dive right into it. But before I get into the recovery part of everything, I just want to give a little bit of a recap just to refresh your memory. So I was diagnosed with blood clots and that ultimately led to the diagnosis of a very rare disease called CTEF. CTEF stands for chronic thromboembolic pulmonary hypertension. And so what that means is in my body, I had chronic clotting. So chronic clots are clots that won't dissolve on their own and have ultimately turned into scar tissue. So I had that, but then also because when my heart was pumping out blood, it was meeting resistance, which in this scenario is the clots. It was putting a lot of pressure on my heart, which ultimately increased my pulmonary arterial pressures a lot, causing pulmonary hypertension. And so that is what CTEF is. It's chronic clotting mixed with pulmonary hypertension. Now, the only cure for CTEF is a very rare disease called, or a very rare surgery called PTE surgery or a pulmonary thromboendarterectomy. So PTE surgery is a cure for CTEF if you know, all goes as planned in surgery. For some people, after having PTE surgery, they need another procedure called BPAs um, or a balloon pulmonary um, and angioplasty. Yeah, and so basically that procedure, um, what happens is it's kind of like a catheter and um, what will happen is the surgeon or the doctor will put this catheter in through a vein um, and at the end of the catheter it has like a little balloon thing that blows up that will like uh, expand the veins um, to allow for more blood flow in your lungs. So some people if the PTE surgery is not completely successful they will need that. Some people will still need to be on pulmonary hypertension medication. Um, after PTE surgery, but for some people like myself, PTE surgery is, you know, what cures them from CTEF. So, um, 
Also, uh, just a little recap of exactly what happens during PTE surgery. So during PTE surgery, you are obviously under anesthesia. And when you're under anesthesia, um, surgeons open up your chest. Um, and it is a full-on open-heart surgery. So they open up your chest and... Um, they put you on bypass so your heart is stopped and then what happens is surgeons will literally pull out the blood clots in your lungs one by one. Um, it's a very complex, it's a very intense surgery. It's also very, very rare. Um, where I had my surgery, I was number 4,216. And by that point, UCSC, where I had my surgery, um, they were and still are the leading hospital to perform PTE surgery. So that's a little recap. Um, and I share a lot more in detail about what PTE surgery looks like in part two. Um, and where I left off was I had the surgery. And yeah, that's where I left off. So let's dive into what post-surgery and recovery looked like for me. So first thing that I want to share is that, like I just kind of shared, um, PTE surgery for me was successful. And so while I was in surgery, my parents were getting updates from my surgeon and from my medical team and so they knew like right when all of the clots were taken out and my surgeon went up to tell them and he had a picture of the clots where he showed my parents um you know what they looked like and all of that and he told my parents that basically from the moment that the clots were removed my pulmonary pressures went back to normal which is amazing. For some people that doesn't happen. It, it can take a while, but for me, it was pretty much immediate. Um, and so then after they closed me up and everything, I went up to my hospital room. Um, oh, and also he, my surgeon also told my parents that, you know, they were able to get out all of the clots and that based on what, you know, they were seeing now, like the, the surgery did what I was supposed to do. I, I was cured and I was doing really well. So um, then I was brought up to my hospital room following surgery and my family was able to visit me and, and everything. Now at this point, I was still very much sedated and this was a part of recovery that I was really nervous about. And the reason being was that I was on a ventilator. So after PTE surgery, all patients are on a ventilator. And the reason being is that your lungs have just been through a lot, you know, not just the surgery, but also they have been under a lot of strain and a lot of stress from the clots that have been, you know, in your lungs. And so your lungs and your heart are really working on overdrive when you have CTEF. And so after surgery, you are on a ventilator just to kind of give your lungs and your heart a break and just to help your lungs breathe. So it's just there to give them a little bit of a break and let your lungs recover. So normally people are on the ventilator for 24 hours. That's what they say is pretty much the average and what to expect. 
for me, I was only on, it was like 16 or 18 hours. But this was a part of recovery that I was really nervous about because when you um, are on a ventilator, you have a tube down your throat because obviously it's a ventilator is helping you breathe. For me, I was really nervous about waking up with this tube in my throat and, you know, freaking out because it's kind of freaky to think about. So I was really, really nervous that I would wake up and remember this and it would be super, super traumatic. Luckily, I don't remember any of my time on the ventilator. I had my mom document pretty much everything. My mom took pictures and videos of this, well, of everything while I was, um, you know, at UCSD for PT and and everything. Um, but I really wanted her to take pictures and videos of the moments that I probably wasn't going to remember because I wanted to see how the whole process would unfold. I wanted to make sure that I knew and was able to actually see like what all was going on during this experience. I didn't want to miss a moment as weird as that may sound. Um, but I, I wanted to be able to see even the moments that I wasn't necessarily going to remember. So my mom documented all of this for me. Um, and also if you are curious and you want to see some of the pictures and some of the videos, I didn't share all of them, but I do have a album on my Facebook profile and it's called, I think it's just called PTE surgery at UCSD, but I have a lot of those pictures and videos in there and I have them captioned and, um, I have explanations for a lot of different things. If you are curious about, um, you know, really seeing the behind the scenes of what that all looks like. But anyway, so I was on the ventilator for like 16, 18 hours. And like I said, I don't remember anything. Um, supposedly, I was very feisty while I was on the ventilator and I tried to pull the tube out. I had to keep my hands like on my stomach instead of like on my sides. Like I was like kind of being sassy with my doctors and apparently was very expressive and I don't remember any of this, but apparently it was a hoot to the people around me. Um, but then eventually, um, my doctors, you know, they monitored my lung functions and all of that. And they were like, all right, we can get you off the ventilator. I don't remember this either. Um, but I was taken off the ventilator and before I was taken off the ventilator, I had to, well, I had a respiratory therapist who did this, but before I was extubated, he had to like brush my teeth and do like some other things because apparently when you have a ventilator in, if your teeth aren't brushed, there can be like a lot of bacteria that can like lead to an infection, all this other crazy stuff. I had no idea that any of that was a thing, but I have videos and pictures of it from my mom, but I found that to be pretty interesting. Um, I don't remember being extubated off the ventilator at all. Um, thankfully, I don't even really remember like the first thing that I do remember, if that makes sense. But I do remember that when, well, I guess one of the first things I remember is that um, 
my voice was very hoarse um, because of the ventilator because it obviously like it goes down your throat. And so my voice was very hoarse. I felt like I could barely talk. I was like talking in a whisper. And I also remember just feeling like very groggy, very tired and in pain, but not the type of pain that I was expecting. I, I was a little bit scared about what the pain would be like. I imagined it being like a sharp, terrible, horrible pain, but it really wasn't. It was more like a throbbing and I was also just very uncomfortable. I remember like one of the first things I remember was just feeling so uncomfortable and part of that was because of, you know, my incision and just like how that was feeling. But also I was hooked up to so many IVs. I had an IV in my neck. I had IVs in both arms. I had a catheter um, so I could go to the bathroom, which honestly, thankfully I did because hooked up to all this stuff, I was not going to make it to the bathroom. Um, I had a pacemaker. I had chest tubes. Like I was on oxygen. I was very uncomfortable, but I was awake. I was good. I was fine. Um, also, I need to go back a little bit. When I was on the ventilator, one thing that they do is like a neurological test um, just to make sure that, you know, while you were under anesthesia, nothing really went wrong, like brain function wise. So I had to like wiggle my toes and acknowledge that my parents were there and all that type of stuff too. Just wanted to share that in case you're interested. Um, but anyway, so I woke up, I was hooked up to so many different things. Um, and I have pictures of this in that Facebook album that I mentioned. It's wild. I did not realize how many different things I was going to be hooked up to. I didn't realize how many different drugs I was going to be on. Um, my mom took up close pictures of all of my IVs. Like I was on heparin, like fentanyl, like all these crazy, crazy drugs. Like when I say I was drugged up, I was drugged up. But thankfully, I was. Because <laughs> it would have been a million times more painful had I not been on all those drugs. Um, but anyway, I digress. So I woke up, hooked up to a lot of things. The first two days off the ventilator are kind of a blur, to be totally honest with you. They were painful and uncomfortable. Um, but it was managed well by my nurses and everything. Um, I was as comfortable probably as I could be during those first two days. I think the day that I woke up, um, I was in my hospital bed, bed for a while, but then they're like, you know, we're going to move you to the chair. And I remember thinking, you've got to be kidding me. I just woke up. You cannot be moving me to a chair. Well, yes, they were. One thing that UCSD did really well, and I'm sure that it would be this way in other hospitals too, but they had me moving. Like, not crazy amounts, but it was not like, yeah, you can just hang out and chill in the hospital bed all day. They were like, no, like, we're going to get you up. We're going to get your body moving as much as we can. And so the first task was to get me to sit up and then move over to a chair. Um, and it was like a big puffy chair in the hospital room that was comfortable. Um, so I remember doing that and I had such an amazing nurse. Her name was Leah and she was so kind. She was so funny. And I remember her helping me sit up, which 
the first time you sit up after an open heart surgery, it is not fun. It feels not too great. Um, but I remember sitting up and my mom has a picture of me sitting up for the first time. My hair was a mess. There are all these IVs all over me. Um, but I made my way to the chair and, uh, for the first two days I was just kind of sitting in the chair, not really doing anything. And it's kind of funny because I brought my laptop to watch Netflix. I brought books. People had sent me like little puzzles and things like that to do in the hospital. And I just assumed, you know, first day I'll probably watch some Netflix or whatever. I did not really do anything for those first two days post-surgery. I was in kind of a daze um, like I said, I was on a lot of drugs, but I was on kind of a daze. Basically, all I did for those first two days was sit in the chair and like stare at the wall. That's really all that I did. And my mom, she told me later on that during those first two days, she was scared that something had like gone wrong in surgery and that something with my brain function had been kind of messed up because obviously that was not normal behavior for me but she thought something was wrong with me because I didn't really talk I really just stared at the wall because I was just in a daze and in pain there were a couple of times where I remember I asked for more pain meds but that's really all that I remember those two days went by so quickly though I don't know what is in the air in hospitals, but time just flies. If you have been in a hospital for an extended period of time, time just moves differently in a hospital. The days go by so quickly, and those days were no exception. I, like I said, it was kind of a daze, it was kind of a blur, but I know that they went by really quickly. I also remember that on day two, um, it was time for me to go on a walk. And I was really nervous about going on my first walk, um, especially since literally the day before was the first day that I got, you know, in a chair and just moved a couple of steps over to a chair after surgery. I couldn't even imagine walking, but I did it. And I remember I had a wheelchair that I kind of used as a walker to lean on and support me. And it was a big to do to walk because I had to bring all my IVs with me, drag my, my chest tubes, um, my pacemaker, all the things um, with me. But I remember, I think I just only did a lap, if that, and that was enough. I was so tired after that first little walk, but my nurses, my doctors, my parents, um, they all kept obviously encouraging me to walk and over time in the hospital those walks got longer and longer and I was able to go further. I think there were a couple times where I had to take some breaks. Um, that first walk was a little rough but they got better. They did. So let's see. Those were the first two days. My incision was still covered during that time so I I didn't see that. It was a while for me to um, actually see what that looks like. The next few days, again, were kind of a blur. So I feel like I might get my timeline a little bit mixed up with some of this. But honestly, so much happened in the span of the time that I was 
in the hospital, which I will get to this, but I was only in the hospital for seven days after surgery before getting discharged. So, so much happened during this time. So now during this time, one of my main goals was that I did not want to leave the hospital on oxygen. Um, Cause like I said, I think, I think I said this, um, I had a chest tube, a pacemaker, catheter, IVs, and I was on oxygen. And it's very common for people after PTE to need oxygen, um, you know, to bring oxygen home with them after surgery. But I did not want that to be me. I did not want to have to lug oxygen around. I wanted to be able to leave the hospital and not need any oxygen. So that was a really, really um, big goal for me during the next few days was to like make sure my oxygen levels were good, which I really didn't have too much control over that, but it was a big goal for me. And then one of my other goals was like to keep walking further and further and just, you know, get stronger and stronger. So, um, I think it was like day three, I want to say post-surgery where I started to get some tubes and IVs and things like that taken out. The first thing, if I remember correctly, was I got my pacemaker taken out and I didn't even realize I was going to have a pacemaker. I really had no idea what it was. Um, now, some people, they have permanent pacemakers. Um, obviously, this one wasn't, but I remember, and like I said, I think it was day three after surgery. I remember I was just sitting in the hospital bed and I had a ton of doctors coming in and out, cardiologists, pulmonologists, hematologists, respiratory therapists, like you name it, they were coming into my room. But there was a cardiologist that came in and I remember he was saying like my heart was looking really good. It was looking really strong. You know, my pulmonary pressures were doing really well. And he was like, all right, I think it's time to take out the pacemaker. I had no idea this was going to be happening. I had literally no clue. And so I remember he just like looked at where my chest tubes were, where apparently the pacemaker was like coming out. Now this pacemaker, it was because it wasn't a permanent one, it was kind of like a wire catheter situation that went through one of my arteries or veins all the way up to my heart. And it was just like this little thing like connected to my heart. Um, I don't even really know to this day all of the details about it. I just remember getting it taken out. And I remember he was just kind of like looking at it and he was like, okay, take a really deep breath in. So I took a deep breath in. And when I did that, he just pulled that pacemaker right out of me. And it was one of the weirdest feelings ever, but I was not expecting it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so wild. Like what just happened? And, um, it was just so weird. I have no other explanation for how it felt other than like a wire was literally being pulled from my body, which is basically what it was. So getting the pacemaker taken out was shocking and so strange, but I felt a lot better once it was taken out. During this time, besides walking, which I started to increase the amount of walks that I was taking around the ICU, the CICU, so the cardiac ICU, um, I also had to start doing a lot of different breathing exercises. I forget what it's called, but there's that little, um, 
like to be thing where regardless of what surgery you have, you have to do, you have to like breathe in and then the little uh, lever will like move up. I forget what it's called, um, but I had to do breathing exercises with that. And then I also had some other breathing exercises that um, a respiratory therapist would come in and have me do. All I remember from the breathing exercises were that I hated them. They were not fun. I absolutely hated them. And I remember there were a couple of times where I did get a little sassy with my respiratory therapist because for me, the breathing exercises were so uncomfortable. And the reason was because I had chest tubes, obviously, but I'm a pretty small person. I'm 5'2". I'm like, I'm pretty tiny. Um, and so the chest tubes that I had in were the same size chest tubes that like a man, a grown man who's like six, five would have in their body. So my chest tubes were pretty long and I could actually like feel them every time I would breathe in or breathe out. And it was so uncomfortable. I could actually really feel them like rubbing against my lung. And I don't know how I knew exactly that it was rubbing against my lung, but my doctors did verify that that was the case. And it was just so uncomfortable. So I hated doing the breathing exercises because it was really painful, but I had to do them. And I think I had to do breathing exercises like at least twice a day. And then I had my walks that I had to do. Um, eventually though, I believe it was day four. And I think this was the day that I was able to move down to the step down unit instead of being in the CICU, um, was the day that I got my chest tubes taken out. Um, and also at this point I was only on Tylenol for pain, which was so crazy because I went from being on some really like hardcore drugs, <laughs> pain, pain medicine to then going on just Tylenol. It's really, really amazing to see in, you know, these types of situations, just how your body heals so quickly. It's really an incredible thing. So this was like day four or five or so um, in the hospital where I, I moved on to just Tylenol. And then I was able to get my chest tubes taken out. Now, I was supposed to get my chest tubes taken out a little bit earlier, I remember, but it kind of depends on like how much blood is still draining out of the chest tubes, like to be able to get them out. And for some reason, I still had a little bit more blood than what they wanted draining out of it. Regardless, um, when I got my chest tubes taken out, it was 10 times weirder than getting the pacemaker taken out. Now, I was more so prepared to get my chest tubes taken out, but I was nervous. The reason being is that I had three chest tubes and the tubes are like pretty big. Like they were pretty thick. And so I didn't know how it was going to feel. I did not know that I was just going to be in my hospital room. Like I thought I might have to go somewhere else to get them taken out. But I remember the PA on my case, um, she came in and she's like, oh, these still haven't been taken out yet. And I was like, no. And she said, well, I can just do them right now if you want me to. And at that moment, I was like, please get these things out of me. They're so uncomfortable. And so she told me, you know, we can just do it right here. We don't need to go anywhere. And 
you're not going to need like stitches or anything to close the incisions. They're just going to heal on their own. So super simple. Now I didn't realize this either, but my chest tubes were like stitched in to my body, which is kind of weird. So before she took them out, she had to undo the stitches. And then I remember she put like gauze over top of where the tubes were and she told me to breathe in and I breathed in and she just pulled them right out. My mom has a video of this. It's wild, <laughs> but she pulled them out and I have no other explanation for how this felt other than it legit felt like I was like going through an exorcism. Like it was the strangest, strangest, strangest feeling I have ever felt. And in the video that my mom took, um, you can hear the PA Angela. She was like, that felt really weird, huh? And you just hear me in the background go, yeah, like my voice is so shaky. I was just in shock because it was so weird. Um, but once they were out, I literally felt like a brand new person. Um, and I feel like after I got the chest tubes out, I just started to recover like even, even quicker. And my recovery in the hospital was going way smoother, way better, way quicker than what I thought it would. But once I got those taken out, um, I just, I felt 10 times better. So before I got discharged, I had to still get a couple more tests. Even though my surgeon had said, you know, the surgery worked, like everything's looking good, I still had to get more tests just to really, you know, solidify that um, things were looking good. So I had to get another VQ test, which if you guys remember... That's um, a test that measures like the ventilation in your lungs to see like how your lungs are just like um, ventilating air and like how the blood is flowing and all that type of stuff. Um, and then I also had to get another pulmonary function test. So the pulmonary function test that I was used to having was a six minute walk test. This pulmonary function test was kind of the same. I still had to walk, but there was another aspect to it where I had to get blood taken from like a specific vein in my wrist and I don't remember exactly why but it was something with the blood in this specific vein was like a good vein to measure like the oxygen level or like how your blood was like oxygenating or something like that um so I had to get my blood drawn before and after the test um, and I, I can't remember how long I had to walk on the treadmill. It wasn't super long, but I remember just walking so slowly, like so, so slowly, probably like a level two on the treadmill. Um, and at that point too, I just felt so gross because I hadn't showered yet. And this was like a day five post-surgery. So I felt gross. I felt grimy. My hair was so greasy. Again, my mom has pictures of this. I literally looked like a grease ball. And so I just felt so disgusting. But I knew that um, once this was done, this test was done, I would be able to shower and all of that. So once I got those tests done, everything came back all good. 
And then um, I was able to finally get my first shower post-surgery, which was very, very exciting. Um, so my shower day, everybody at the hospital would always say like, oh, just wait, you know, tomorrow's going to be your shower day or like, you're going to be able to get your first shower so soon. It was like what everybody talked about. It was like what everybody was looking forward to like for me because they knew just how gross you feel in the hospital after that length of time. Um, so I was really excited to like finally get a shower, which I will say too, if you are honestly having any type of surgery, seriously, any type of surgery, you 100% need to bring dry shampoo and a hair tie. I did not bring either, which was like a major mistake. I would have felt so much better, so much cleaner how I brought those two things with me, but I didn't. So keep that in mind if you are about to have surgery and you plan to be in the hospital for a couple days. Dry shampoo and a hair tie. You will thank me later. Trust me. Um, but I was really excited for to like finally clean myself and get my first shower, you know, after surgery. But I was also kind of nervous because it was going to be my first time really seeing my scar. By this point, um, the dressing that I had over my scar was taken off and I kind of knew what my scar looked like. Um, I didn't really look at it. I, I kind of avoided that. Um, my incision, it, there weren't stitches or anything. There were stitches internally, but it was, it, it was held together with glue, with surgical glue. Um, so I knew that and I had seen it like a little bit, but I, I hadn't really seen the full thing. And so as excited as I was to, you know, have my shower day and everything. I was really just nervous to see my scar. And I remember when I first saw the full scar in the mirror, it was really emotional. I may have cried. I can't really remember, but it was really, really emotional for me. One, my scar was a lot bigger than what I thought it was going to be. Um, my scar is pretty big. I mean, it goes from the top of my chest to almost to my belly. It's pretty, pretty big. And I knew it was going to be big, but I didn't know it was going to be that big. And then I also had the incisions from my chest tube, um, or my chest tubes. And I also had scars on my neck from the IVs and the catheters that I had there. And so it was a lot to take in. It was, it was really hard to look at. And when I first saw the scar, I remember being really sad. Like I said, it was really emotional. I mean, the whole experience was really emotional and your emotions are just all over the place when you're in a situation like this. And the doctors told me that that would be the case, that my emotions would be all over the place. But this, this was a really hard moment for me. I think the hardest part was that while I knew obviously I was going to have this open heart surgery and that there was going to be a scar, you know, I knew that and I knew that I needed the surgery and that the scar would be a result of the surgery, which I was so grateful to have, obviously, because it healed me. But 
it was really kind of hard to see how my body had literally just changed overnight. You know, one day I had no scars. I had no marks on my body. And the next day I literally woke up with my body totally changed and it had been cut open and there were scars and it had just been through so much. And it it was just, I don't know how else to describe it other than surreal. It was just really surreal and it was hard. It was hard to see. And most of the days prior, after I had like woken up from surgery and everything, you know, obviously like I felt so grateful to have the surgery. And I really, day after day, as I got stronger and stronger, I felt so empowered. Like, oh my gosh, like I got through this surgery this is incredible. Like, I'm so grateful. I'm alive. This is amazing. I just, I felt so empowered. Like I could literally do anything. But when I saw that scar, it was really hard to see. Really, really hard to see. And those feelings lingered for a little bit, but over time, um, I didn't feel as sad about the scar anymore. It was just kind of the initial shock of seeing it for the first time. So after my shower day, I again felt like a brand new person and my mom got me the cutest little button down heart pajamas because my surgery was on Valentine's day. So, um, the pajamas had little hearts all over them. And so I was finally able to wear the pajamas and not have to be in the green and blue hospital gown that I had been living in for the past few days. And I just, I felt so clean and so amazing and it was great. So by this point, I I, um, was on like a portable monitor. So I didn't have to be hooked up to all the IVs and like the little um, like EKG machine thingy. I, I was able to have a portable monitor, which was just so much easier to like move around and like go to the bathroom and all of that. And also at this point, I was finally able to get off of oxygen, which was so exciting because like I said earlier, that was my, my big goal. I did not want to be discharged on oxygen. I wanted to get off of oxygen in the hospital. So I was able to get off of oxygen, which was awesome. Um, and so because I was on the portable monitor and I was off of oxygen, I was just like, feeling good. I was feeling clean. I was feeling awesome. And I was just able to walk around the hospital. And it was kind of funny because I would walk around the floor and I was kind of able to walk around on my own. They probably still wanted me with someone, but I could just kind of walk around the floor whenever I wanted. And so there were a couple of times where my doctors were like trying to find me and I was just wandering around. Um, and they were just in shock that I was able to walk around so comfortably and just they were really kind of in shock too at how quickly I did recover during those very few days um in the hospital after surgery and they just kept telling me you know you are the poster child for what you know everybody wants after PTE surgery and so that felt really really great um I also I think it was maybe my last day in the hospital or my second to last day, I had the opportunity to actually talk to some incoming patients for PTE. So I shared a lot about 
just the little orientation that I had when I got to UCSD. UCSD is incredible in terms of patient support. And they have a lot of different resources for patients, um, specifically PTE patients. I'm sure that they do for other surgeries, but for PTE patients, they have a lot of support there um, for people who are about to have the surgery, which is incredible. So for some people, well, everybody has this option. I didn't actually do this when I was um, at UCSD for testing. I had the opportunity to, but I didn't actually do it. But they have someone that will, you know, take patients who are about to have PTE. Um, they'll have someone take them around, um, walk them through the hospital and just answer any questions that they have about the surgery in a group setting. And then they sit down in a little area and they have the opportunity to speak to patients who have just had the surgery and again, get more questions answered. So I was asked to speak to some of these incoming patients. I remember sitting there and I was wearing my little heart pajamas and um, a lot of the people that were going to have PTE, they were older than me by <laughs> quite a few years. But I remember just looking around at them and talking to them and just really seeing the fear in their eyes. One, one woman in particular. And I remember just thinking, you know, that was me literally just a few days ago so scared about what was going to happen during the surgery. And I remember sharing my experience with them and just telling them how amazing UCSD is and how they are just in the best hands and, you know, that they're going to be able to get through it and that they're so strong and just seeing that fear and that doubt just slip off their faces. And it was really, well, I had this moment when I was diagnosed with blood clots that I was going to share my story, but it was really in that moment talking to those patients that I really just made the decision that I was going to share my story as much as I could, specifically my story with CTEF and PTE because CTEF and PTE are so rare. They are really so rare, and I know how alone I felt, and I know that if I felt that alone, so many other people feel that alone too in the process, and if I can do anything to help someone feel not as alone and bring them comfort and encourage them and let them know how strong they are and that they're going to be able to get through it no matter the outcome, I'm going to do it, and so that that time when I was speaking to those patients was really, really empowering. And I really just kind of vowed to myself that I was going to share my story as much as possible on whatever platforms that I could find to just help people not feel, feel so alone and not feel so afraid with the unknowns that come with a CTEF diagnosis and PTE surgery. And so that's another reason why I wanted to share my story on a platform like a podcast because hopefully it just, it reaches more people, but that was a really cool moment for me. And I'm really so grateful that my doctors gave me the opportunity to be able to speak to other PTE patients, um, 
you know, getting ready for surgery. So before I was discharged, I had a meeting with my PA and my pulmonologist. And I had known, you know, for the most part that the PTE surgery had worked. I was cured. Um, that the surgery did what we had hoped and prayed that it would do. But I had one final, you know, sit down with my pulmonologist. And I remember he looked at me and he was looking over all my scans and everything. And he just, he looked at me and he said, Allison, you're fixed. He's like, you, you're fixed. Your, your lungs are, you know, they're, they're not normal, but they're your normal, you know, your lungs, they don't look like a normal um, at that point, 23 year olds lungs, but they're your normal and you're fixed and you're going to live a healthy life. <laughs> you know, you aren't really going to have to worry. He's like, there will always be a little bit of worry, but you're not really going to have to worry. Like you're fixed, you're healed, you're cured. Like you don't have CTEF anymore. The PT surgery did what it was supposed to do. And those were the best words I could have ever heard. Those were the words I had been hoping I would be able to hear and to hear them. It was the best feeling ever. And I will literally never forget that moment. But after that appointment, um, I was discharged. And so I was discharged after only seven days in the hospital. And I didn't break the record for getting discharged the quickest, which I also wanted to do, but I was discharged pretty quickly. So after I was discharged, my mom and I, we stayed in San Diego um, at Mission Beach for another week just so that I could rest and recover a little bit more. I was really worried about recovery outside of the hospital because I didn't want to feel rushed to recover like too quickly. Like I just felt like my body had been through so much, which it obviously had, but I really wanted to be able to recover at my own pace. So my mom, my dad, and I, we all decided that it was probably for the best if I just hung out in San Diego for another week. So we stayed in Mission Beach, which I highly recommend if you have not been there to go. It is so cute. Um, actually, all of San Diego is adorable, but Mission Beach is a really great. Um, there's like a little boardwalk kind of situation there. Nothing like the Jersey boardwalk, but it's, it's just a little, um, boardwalk. Um, and it's flat, which is great for walking, which when I was discharged, that's really all that my doctors told me that I should do was just to walk. So I remember the day I was discharged, I walked like three miles and I was so exhausted. Um, but day after day, I just kept walking. Um, and just kept feeling stronger and stronger. And there were times when I would get, you know, a little bit more tired and, you know, recovery isn't linear. There's good days. There's bad days. There's days where you feel really strong. There's days when you feel really weak. And so I had to kind of navigate that, um, while in San Diego, but I walked a lot. I still kind of felt fragile. I kind of felt like one wrong turn and my body was going to break. Um, and I was extra cautious because obviously now I wasn't in the hospital. So, um, it was a little scary. I still had some discomfort. I was still only on Tylenol for pain. Um, 
I think I had, I started a new blood thinner at this point too. I had to be on Coumadin after surgery. Um, so I was kind of getting used to that. I had to go for a blood test because with Coumadin, you have to get your INR measured, which is basically your blood thickness. And this was something that I wasn't used to because before surgery, I was on a blood thinner called Eliquis. And then I had to do Lovenox injections. And then in the hospital, I was on heparin and then Coumadin. Um, and so outside of the hospital, I was on Coumadin again. So I had to kind of navigate that. That was different for me. Um, but yeah, I still, I felt better. I felt stronger for the most part, but there was still some discomfort. There was still, I still kind of felt weird in my own body, if that makes sense. Um, I didn't feel normal, obviously. I had just gone through a lot, but I was really at that point just really trying to navigate how I was feeling and just trying to be like as delicate with myself as I could. Um, but it was kind of cool during my time recovering in San Diego, my friend John that I had met, um, in the hospital too, he and his mom were staying in San Diego for a little bit as well. And so we were able to meet up and go to dinner and it was just, it was so nice to have someone to stay connected with after being in the hospital and after going through the exact same experience. And so, um, we went out to dinner, we went on some walks and it was just, it was really, really great. So we were in mission beach for seven days and then it was time to go back home. And so we flew back home and, um, when I got back home, I still, you know, kind of had those same, same feelings, feeling a little bit fragile, just still trying to navigate recovery, but I was still walking. I was going on walks outside with family members. And then I think it was like probably that same week that I got home. Um, my family, they were going to the gym and I was like, I want to go, like, I want to go on the treadmill. Um, I was like, I, I need to walk. I, I want to go back to the gym. And I went to the gym with them. They put me on the handicapped treadmill and they would all check on me in between their exercises. And I remember just getting so excited as I would be able to increase the incline and increase my speed a little bit here and there. And I was just feeling really, really good. So for the first few weeks, I was really just walking. Um, and that's really all that I was doing in terms of like moving my body and like exercising. I was just walking and I was taking it easy for the most part, but I was still kind of pushing myself here and there. I think at like maybe week two or week three after being home, um, instead of just walking on like mainly flat, areas. I started to incorporate like some hills here and there, not big hills, but like little hills and just started to push myself a little bit that way. Also, um, while I was in San Diego, but also while I was back home, so many people sent me just like the most beautiful flowers and little gifts and just so many things that put a smile on my face. It was so sweet. And I just, I appreciated it so much, but, um, I just had like little things to look forward to every single day. And so I was able to rest and watch Netflix and read a little bit, but also, you know, move my body. And so overall recovery at that point, very smooth, um, still had some discomfort, but that was normal. I knew that 
over time, I would start to feel better. And day by day, um, I really did. I just felt a little bit better each and every day. What was crazy, though, about the timing with my surgery and everything is that I got back home, I think it was February 21st of 2020 is when I got back home. And then literally two weeks later is when the whole world shut down because of COVID. And so my surgery actually happened in literally perfect timing, truly perfect timing, because had my surgery been any later, I may not have, or been scheduled for any later, I may not have been able to actually get it. I know a lot of people who scheduled their surgery for like March 2020, April 2020, and UCSD stopped doing like some PTE surgeries because of COVID. And so I'm just so grateful that the timeline for my surgery and everything lined up the way that it did because I was able to be home before the world shut down. And then when the world did shut down, I had extra time to recover, which I was so, so grateful for that I had extra time to recover with like literally no pressure to really speed up the process because we had no idea when life was going to go back to normal. Um, so I really had months where I was just able to recover and rest and just let my body heal. Um, I had a lot of doctor's appointments during this time too. I had to go and see my pulmonologist in Philly. Um, I was there like a week after I got home and I think I saw him pretty frequently. Like I think it, I think I had like a three month post-op appointment and then a six month and a nine month, that, that type of a thing. Um, and I, I think I met with my hematologist. Um, eventually I switched from the Coumadin blood thinner to Eliquis because I had to go pretty much every week and get a blood test to measure the blood, my INR, the blood thickness. Um, and I got really sick of that. Um, so I switched my blood thinner. Um, during that time, I started to exercise more. I think it was around two months post-op where I started to actually incorporate some strength training into my workouts. And these were obviously at home workouts because COVID. Um, and so I wasn't doing anything crazy when it came to weights. I was doing like very little weight and I was mainly doing lower body because I still couldn't move my upper body a ton. Um, and I didn't want to strain myself or anything like that. But I started to push myself a little bit more. And over time, I just kept doing more and more and more. Um, I, Like I said before, I wanted to push myself, but I didn't want to strain myself. Um, but I'm really glad that I did push myself because I do think that by continuing to increase my movement and my exercise, it really did help me um, just recover really smoothly and really quickly. The one thing that was really difficult in recovery for me was sleeping. So I got used to sleeping on my back, obviously, in the hospital because you can't really sleep any other way in a hospital bed. Um, and I knew that for a few weeks and months after surgery, I would have to sleep on my back. Um, 
I'm a stomach sleeper, so that's why it was really hard for me. But um, I had to get like all these different types of pillows and stuff. Like it was really hard for me to sleep. And while I did get used to it, it was not ideal by any means. Um, but I started to kind of realize like when I was feeling better um, in terms of like discomfort and stuff in my chest by how I was sleeping because for a few, probably like two months, I was like only sleeping on my back and then I would like wake up um, after that and I would be like on my side and then there was one day where I woke up on my stomach and I was like, well, I guess like I can do this now. <laughs> so I was able to kind of see like how I was feeling engaged, how I was feeling from that. Um, around, it was like around the three month point where I started to feel more normal. I still had some discomfort. I would still have a twinge here and there in my chest, but I started to really be able to do just like my day-to-day, -day, everyday tasks, activities, whatever you want to call it, without noticing any discomfort. And that's normal. They normally say it's like three months. Um, that's normally the point where you start to like feel back to normal again. Um, for me, sometimes I would still get like kind of like a pop here and there in my chest, which would kind of weird me out. Um, but overall, like every day I just felt better and better and just had less and less discomfort. And, um, it happened, you know, gradually it happened over time, but it was really smooth and I really didn't have any issues in terms of recovery, um, which I'm really, really grateful for. You know, I had no complications, no infections, no crazy discomfort, nothing. It was really honestly so smooth. Since my PTE, I've been able to do a lot of things that I never really thought I'd be able to do. Like I exercise like every single day. I am able to lift heavier weights than I ever thought I'd be able to lift. I went on a vacation with my family and hiked a glacier. Like I can just go upstairs and breathe normally. Like even just little seemingly normal everyday things that I couldn't do comfortably before PTE surgery, I can do now. And so I'm just so grateful for my PTE surgery. I'm so grateful for UCSD. I'm so grateful that I was able to have this surgery. It was really the most empowering experience. It taught me so much about myself, taught me how strong I am, taught me all about how resilient I am. And even though PTE was really hard, I always say actually that my open heart surgery was like the worst thing and the best thing to ever happen to me. And that sounds so weird, but I'm so grateful that I went through PTE surgery, that that is an experience that I had because I think that I needed to learn a lot about myself that I wouldn't have been able to learn had I not had that surgery. And so I am just so grateful for the whole experience. Um, that I had at UCSD. And honestly, I'm grateful for all of it, as weird as it may sound. While there are moments where I wish that maybe I hadn't had to go through all of this at that time in my life, I'm ultimately really grateful 
that I did because like I like I mentioned, I just learned so much about myself in the process and I learned just how strong I am. I never really considered myself to be a strong person, but I learned throughout all of this that I am a lot stronger than what I ever thought. I also want to just go back to my scar because like I said, I was so scared to have a scar. I was really scared about what that would be like, what that would look like. And it's really, it's really hard to see your body change like that overnight. Like I said, to go from, you know, not having a giant scar (laughs) right down, you know, the center of your body to then having, then having it. Um, But now I have really learned to just love my scar. I love my scar. And when I talk to people who are about to have an open heart surgery, this is something that they ask about a lot about the scar and what it's like and how it feels and all of that. And a lot of people express that they are scared to have a scar. I was right there too. But I love my scar now. It has now become like my favorite part about myself, which might sound weird, but I love my scar. It is a permanent reminder of how strong I am. It is a permanent battle scar sharing and showing just everything I've gone through. It tells a story. It's my, it's one of my favorite things about myself. I just love that I have a permanent reminder of what I've gone through because every single morning when I look in the mirror, I can see my scar and just be reminded like you are so much stronger than what you think you are. I always used to hear, you know, scars are so beautiful and not to sound like bad, but I always thought it was kind of silly to hear that, you know, scars, scars are so beautiful, but I see that so differently now that I have my own scars. Scars are so beautiful and they tell a story. I will say too, like my scar has opened up so many conversations with people, so many different opportunities to be able to tell my story and spread awareness. But scars are really just beautiful and you should not see your scar as any, whatever your scar is, internal or external. You shouldn't see them as anything other than beautiful and something that makes you so uniquely you. Your scar really does tell a story and it also shows to others, but most importantly to yourself that you can overcome really, really hard things, really hard things. And that's why I'm so grateful for my scar. I'm so glad that I have that scar on me. And you know what? For For a while, I was like, you know, if I need to have this scar, I hope that it's not really visible. I hope that it's, you know, really thin. I hope that, you know, barely anybody can notice it. Well, my scar is not thin. (laughs) It is not small. It is actually very noticeable. And it's so funny because now I am so glad that it is everything that I didn't want it to be. (laughs) It is so noticeable. It's quite big. But I'm so happy that it is because again, I'm going to keep reiterating it. It is a permanent reminder to me of just how strong I am. And there are some days when I still need that reminder. 
right, right in front of my face. And I have that every single day. It's also a reminder to me that, you know, my bad days are not that bad because I've been through a lot worse. And so if you struggle with having scars, big or small, let your scar serve as a reminder of all of those things because it is going to just make you appreciate the things that you have gone through so much more. And sometimes it's hard in the moment to appreciate the things that you've gone through because maybe they were really hard things. But I think that there's good in, I think you can find good in everything. And I think that you can learn a lot about yourself regardless of the situation. And I think that your scars, again, just serve as a reminder of all of those things. And it's never a bad thing to be reminded of how strong you are on a daily basis. And so if you are struggling with, you know, processing needing or ending up with a scar or struggling with having a brand new scar, your scars are beautiful. And you are so much stronger because of that scar. And it's something to be very proud of and something to really, really wear with pride. It really is. So before I wrap up this episode, I did want to share a little bit about how PTE did kind of affect me mentally and emotionally just to be really real and really vulnerable because you know PTE while I keep saying it was a really empowering experience and it was one of the best things and worst things to ever happen to me it was still really hard and I feel like I'm only really scratching the surface of a lot of this um but PTE was pretty hard mentally and emotionally for a lot of reasons. And I knew that it would be hard, but it was harder in some aspects than others. For me, something that I struggled with the most was kind of like, what do I do now after PTE? There was so much anticipation leading up to my surgery. Um, there were so many unknowns leading up to my surgery. There were so many things that I didn't really allow myself to think of post-surgery. And so because there was just so much anticipation, once surgery was over and I found out that I was cured and I was healed, I just had to kind of sit with the question of, so what do I do now? I never really thought about what life would be like after surgery because I was so focused on just making it through surgery, like just getting through it. That once surgery was done and I was healed and recovered, I just, I didn't really know what to do with myself, which might sound weird. And I understand that it sounds weird. I think it's again, kind of a hard thing to explain if you haven't gone through a similar situation yourself. But I was actually talking to my friend John about this, not pretty recently, actually. Um, And he was like, I totally understand, you know, what you're saying. It's, it's really hard, just because 
you feel all this pressure now that you have a second chance because I I don't want to say I only thought about worst case scenario, but I was probably more focused on like, okay, you know, if surgery doesn't work, then what do I do? I wasn't really focused on like, okay, when surgery works and it's successful, this is what I'm going to do. I literally got a second chance at my life because of this surgery. This surgery healed me. It cured me. It it allowed me to really like just live again because I, I was healed. I was cured. And it gave me a second chance to be able to do whatever it was that I wanted to do. It gave me so many more opportunities now that I was healed and cured because now I could really do whatever. But I felt so much pressure and I still do um, with like what to do with this second chance, because I want to make the most of it. I have learned how precious life is. I have learned that you can never take your health for granted. I have learned just how important it is to, you know, do things that make you happy and take advantage of opportunities. Cause you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. You don't know. You, you just don't know. And so this is something truthfully that I still do struggle with, um, kind of a lot sometimes. It, kind of depends on the day, but just how to make the most of this second chance. Because for me, I don't want to waste it. I, I want to live, you know, a really incredible life, whatever it is that, you know, that looks like for me. But something that I tell myself all the time is that I just don't want to waste the second chance that I've been given. And so sometimes it's, really hard because I put a lot of pressure on myself to, you know, maybe do something really great or impactful or whatever it might be because I don't want to waste the second chance of the life that I've been given. And it's hard sometimes. It's really hard. I think that going through something like this, it really changes your perspective on a lot of things, but it can also kind of take a toll on you mentally and emotionally because you know what it's like to not know if like, you know, you're going to make it to tomorrow. And that's a really scary thought. But then to be on the other side of it, there's all this pressure to, and it's, at least in my experience, it's all pressure from myself to go and do all the things because you're not guaranteed the next day or the next or the next. You never know what could happen. You never know, you know, what diagnosis could come your way. Um, and so it's, it's a very interesting feeling. It's something that I'm still trying to navigate. I think it's something that I'm going to kind of struggle with forever, but something that I have learned throughout all of it is that Life is really, really short. And regardless of whether you are going through a similar diagnosis to what I had or whether you, you know, have never gone through something like this, just know that life is really, really short. It's so short and life is really, really beautiful. Don't squander the opportunities that you have because you think that you're going to be able to do it tomorrow. Like make the most of what you can do now.
And when you really come to terms with how short life is and how many opportunities are out there, like just make the most of it. Just make the most of it. Life is amazing and it's beautiful, but it's way too short. And you don't want to waste a healthy life. You know, being scared of other people's opinions, being scared of what people might think of you, just being scared. Like, go out and just, you know, do the things that you want to do. Take chances, grab opportunities. Like, just, just do it. Because, <laughs> again, I'm going to say it again life is so short. And with that, I'm going to end part three of this series.